Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, good morning, Bible Center family. It's good to see you. It's good to have you here joining us online uh, around the city, around the country, or otherwise. It's so great uh, to have you here. I wanted to start uh, by doing this because I wasn't sure uh, who is going to be uh, touching my table this morning. I love you, Jagger. Uh, Pastor Caleb put me up to it so you can blame him for this. I want to say welcome to you, those of you who are part of our church And I want to say thank you uh, in advance for the way that you are stepping in and being flexible during this time of uncertainty. So welcome back to you. Those of you who are new, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center Church. Would love to get to meet you. Would love to get to know you uh, next time our paths cross here, hopefully soon or around the city uh, here this week. Um, We have two services. We have our 9 a.m. service. We have our 11 a.m. service. And so whichever service you are tuning in, uh, we want to welcome you and hope that the Lord draws you close to himself uh, through his word this morning. We're going to be all over in different places of the Bible today. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you may want to get it out and and get it ready. Uh, But I wanted to start again and let you know how we arrived to this point. Uh, Early in the week, we had no idea that we would be here today uh, via camera, via stream, uh, live stream. Uh, But our elders, as the week went on, our elder board and I, we continued to talk and we eventually met later in the week. And we just sensed from the Lord that this is what God uh, wanted our church to do for this time at this point during this crisis, during this pandemic. And really, there was three reasons we chose to do this. One is we wanted to make sure that we're loving our people well, loving our entire church well, especially our senior saints and maybe uh, those who are more at risk than others in our church, those who have been affected by illness. And so we wanted to love our church very, very well. But we also wanted to love our city well. Uh, We love the city we live in. We're for the gospel and we're for the city. And uh, so as we're listening to different city leaders and watching what's happening around the country, we wanted to go ahead and be proactive and be a leader in our city with other believers by practicing social distancing. Now, social distancing isn't new for West Virginians. We've been doing this uh, since 1863. Uh, This isn't new for us. And so uh, during this time, we don't know how long exactly it will last, but we can assure you our board, every week we're gonna be reevaluating and doing some creative things as a board, as a staff. Uh, We're not gonna cease being the church. It's just gonna look a little bit different than it has in the past. And the third reason we're doing this, I mentioned it a second ago, we want to honor our national, our our local leaders, our state leaders. And whenever they recommend for us not to be in large crowds, uh, we we felt like we could honor them. They've been most gracious to us by not requiring us to do this, by not somehow enforcing or forcing our hand. And so we want to honor them. Most of all, we just want to be motivated by love not by fear, but we want to be motivated by love, love for all the people that we've mentioned and obviously love for the gospel. As our board understands it, if the preventative measures work, then by definition, these preventative measures will appear to have been excessive. Success will look like overreaction and that's okay. 
that's okay with us. We want to make sure that we're taking care of our people and being a good light in our city. I read this week that Martin Luther, when he was going through something much worse 500 years ago in Europe, Martin Luther penned these words about the, an epidemic. He was experiencing the Black Death Plague. He said this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate the air, administer medicine, and take it for myself. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contaminated and thus inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If my neighbor needs me, however, I will not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. I see this as a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. As I'm jumping in, I want to quickly just take a second and thank our staff. Many of our staff are here making this live feed happen. Uh, but for those staff who have our school, our preschool, or our church or business office who may be watching this from home, I want to say thank you to our entire staff. These men and women of professionals have worked hard all week. As many of you know, it was spring break this week and some of them were logging in on their laptop, on their cell phone, making announcements, making adjustments to our schedule. And so I wanna say, I love you staff. And I look forward to being with you tomorrow as we plan uh, to go forward and reach this city with the gospel in new and creative ways. It has truly been a week to remember a week to remember. I don't think it really sunk in with me about where we were as a nation and the crisis we were in until I went to Walmart. A few days ago, my wife asked me to pick up something on the way home from work. And so I actually went to Walmart twice in one day. That talk about bravery, talk about courage, or maybe it was stupidity. But as I was looking for, look, hamburger buns. That's all I needed was hamburger buns. Uh, there was, there was a big, several shelves and you had to be tall to reach the top shelf. And there was one package of hamburger buns all the way in the back of the top shelf. And so I think others didn't see that package, maybe those who, who weren't quite as, as, as tall. And, and so I reached back and I grabbed that last bag of hamburger buns. I mean, just like I had found the, 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 the prize. And as I'm walking out of the bread aisle, this guy looks at me and he, he kind of had a half smile, but he was a lot bigger than me. And he looks and he says, you know, I could wrestle you for those, right? You know I could wrestle you for those, right? And, and of course, I, I knew he could, and I kind of laughed and got out of there as fast as I could. But I just couldn't believe what I was seeing at Aldi, at Walmart, at Kroger. This is a, this is a big deal. This is a big deal to the world, a big deal to our city. And so we have to ask the question, how should Christians respond how does God invite us as followers of Jesus to respond to a global pandemic like this? We see things on the news, we, we hear it, we watch it, we read it. What is God inviting us to do? Not only as followers of Jesus, but as members and attenders of Bible Center Church. 
I was originally gonna do it all in one message, but we've actually divided it up into two messages. And so for your sake, this Sunday, I'm gonna give you the first half of the message, how a Christian should respond uh, to a global pandemic. And then next Sunday, I'll give you the last half of the message. This week, we're gonna look at five things we shouldn't do as Christians. And next week, we're gonna see five things Jesus invites us to do as Christians. So if you have your notes or you have the app, you can follow along with that. Number one, how should we not respond at a time like this? How should we not respond? Number one, by tightening our grip on things that are temporary. By tightening our grip on things that are temporary. Think of all the things we've experienced recently that we never thought would be temporary, but now we see that they really are. The NCAA tournament, temporary. Walt Disney World, Disneyland, closed for a season, temporary. High school hoops and other athletics, temporary. Something as big as watching your 401k dry up this week, temporary. Or even something so small as seeing that guy in front of you get the last roll of toilet paper, that's Temporary. God is using this to, to remind us that the world is temporary. And so the last thing he wants us to do is to, to reach out and to hang on to everything we see in front of us. He doesn't want us to set our affection on things on the earth, but Colossians says to set them on things above. Psalm 90 has been a big comfort to my family and me this week. Psalm 90 in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you ever brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death, they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. So teach us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom." Psalm 103, a few verses from Psalm 103 in verse 13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. I think Lecrae said it best this week. We haven't lost control of our lives, but we've lost the illusion 
that we were ever in control. Let's not, as Christians, let's not tighten our grip on things that are temporary. But let's do as the Lord has invited us to do in his word. Number two, how should we not respond as believers? How should we not respond at a time like this? Number two, by worrying and panicking as if Jesus isn't king. By worrying and panicking as if Jesus isn't king. So I'll ask you, have, have you experienced any anxiety this week? Or have you been tempted to experience any anxiety this week? I know I sure have. Most of my friends have been tempted to experience anxiety for a number of reasons. Uh, where they call it worry, anxiety, fear, whatever it is, many of us, most of us know what it feels like. I don't like interruptions to a schedule right? We know what we're doing as a church. We've got it planned out for the next 18 months and we just move forward week after week. And this week I am seeing that Jesus is king, not my calendar. Jesus is king, not a position. Maybe you've been fearful this week because of the school closings. Sarah and I have talked about that. Well, will our children go to school through June? I know they're fearful. If you're, you're a student, you're probably fearful of some similar things. Uh, we've wondered uh, how are we gonna make sure that we're, we're keeping them on task, keeping them on schedule when I'm at work, on the, the hours that she's at work. All those things that go through our minds, I'm sure are going through yours. Maybe you're worried or anxious about finances. Because of this crisis, maybe you're gonna lose some income. Maybe you're gonna lose significant income. Again, maybe you're worried about your retirement. You're worried about what the media is telling you. You're worried about cabin fever. You're worried about events being canceled. Some of us were worried this week when we saw Sarah Palin trying to rap in a bear costume. Whatever it is, causes us worry and confusion. What is going on in our world? But Jesus invites us to respond differently in Matthew chapter six and verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life for what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Uh, they do not uh, labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about himself. Each day has enough trouble 
of his own. This next verse, Luke 12, 32, is important to the history of Bible Center Church. Our church now is 77 years old. And as you read the history of our church, we were started in 1943 in a department store, the People's Department Store, uh, then eventually moved over to what is now the Union Building at the bottom of the South Side Bridge. But the founder of our church wasn't a pastor. He wasn't clergy. He wasn't ordained. He, he, he was a, a businessman in the community. And, and this businessman, Mr. Maxwell, he and his family laid the foundation for what would become Bible Center Church. He was a successful man, very connected in the community, loved the gospel. And ironically, God had saved him through typhoid fever. Through typhoid fever, he recognized his need to either believe the gospel or return to the gospel of his childhood. That was in 1935. But in 1943, the church launched and Mr. Maxwell was still relatively young. But within a few years of the church launching, Mr. Maxwell was diagnosed with cancer and he died. At his funeral, the days between his death, the days leading up to his funeral, there was this buzz, they say, around town about this little church that had big aspirations, but how this little church was going to die. There's no way, they said, this church is going to thrive in the absence of Mr. Maxwell. There's no way it's going to continue. And there was a young pastor in his 20s named Reed Jepson. And Reed Jepson, on the day of Mr. Maxwell's funeral, stood behind the lectern and opened his Bible to Luke 12, 32. And he read these words. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. In Bible Center Church, I want to encourage you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has given you the kingdom. There's no need for us to fear because Jesus is still king. Corey Ten Boom wasn't fighting a physical virus. She was fighting a philosophical virus, the virus of Nazi fascism. And she wrote these words, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Don't let worry empty today of your strength. Pastor Richard Hendrick, this past week, just this very week, he's a pastor in Ireland. He wrote a beautiful, beautiful poem that I wanna share. Just let these words wash over your soul, wherever you are, if you're at the kitchen table, if you're in the living room, if you're wherever you are in your bed, just let these words wash over your soul, just written hours ago. He said this, yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But they say that in Wuhan, China, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds sing again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares, keeping their windows open so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. They say that a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the homebound. 
Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her phone number through the neighborhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. Today, churches are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. All over the world, people are slowing down. I hope you feel that. All over the world, people are slowing down, reflecting. And all over the world, people are looking at their neighbors in a brand new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big or small we really are, to how little we actually control, to what really matters, to love. So we pray, he writes, and we remember that, yes, there is fear, but there doesn't have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there doesn't have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there doesn't have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices. Wake up to the choices you make as how you live now. Today, breathe. Listen. Behind the factory noises of your panic, the birds are singing again. The sky is clearing. Spring is coming. And we are always encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul. And though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing anyway. Let's not worry and panic like Jesus isn't king because he is. How well should we not respond at a time like this? Well, number three, I think it's important for us to mention this. Number three, let us not say that everything is going to be fine. Everything's gonna be okay. Let's not say that everything is gonna be fine, that everything is gonna be okay. Have you ever said that to someone when they're going through a difficulty? Maybe you're in the hospital and you're just, you're just tempted to tell somebody, hey, it's gonna be okay. Or maybe we've, we've all said this to our children, oh, it's gonna be okay. But in the back of our minds, we don't always know if it really is going to be okay. And, and so what I wanted to do is just take a quick second and, and make sure that we understand the difference between eternity and the earth. Of course, eternity in this earth, this heaven and this earth, uh, as it stands, things aren't always going to be okay. One day in the new heavens and the new earth, of course, for the Christian, everything's gonna be okay. So I get it when people say everything's gonna be okay. If they're referring to eternity for the believer, sure. But many times uh, we as Christians are tempted to give people false hope, insinuating that, oh, this is just gonna blow over and everything's gonna be okay. But Jesus didn't always provide counsel in that way. Yes, he encouraged to joy. And yes, he told us that we could find peace in the middle of the storm. But listen to some very honest things that Jesus said in Mark chapter eight, starting in verse 31. It says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, 
but merely human concerns. Even Jesus wanted to make sure that his messaging was clear, that not everything in the world was going to always be okay. Jesus reminds us that hard times were going to come. He says the same thing in Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 and verse one, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Those of us that were in Israel uh, some time ago, over 14 days ago, thankfully, uh, we remember seeing the massive stones. Those of us who will go back to Israel in a couple years, you're gonna see many of these massive stones. What magnificent buildings. Do you not see that all these great buildings, Jesus replied, Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will the sign be that they're about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Literally, ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. That's the word here. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings and witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking. Think of this. It is the Holy Spirit speaking. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and, and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me and the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus isn't telling us to worry about the future, but he is telling us to have a realistic view of the future. Things aren't always going to get better. As a matter of fact, most likely, things are going to get worse. I have no idea what's in store for Charleston, West Virginia, or even America in terms of the coronavirus. I, I hope that it's, the impact is as little as some think it's going to be. But there are many who think it's gonna be huge. We've already seen what it can do in one week, not just to our, our physical bodies, but to our economy, to our market, to the world. So I have no idea what the future is. I am not a prophet. I'm a pastor born in Charleston, West Virginia, raised in St. Albans. I put my pants on the same way you do. But I can say this, it is very likely things could get worse. So as you're talking with people, let your hope, let your words of encouragement not be that things are gonna get better on this earth right now, but let your encouragement be in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of us are gonna get out of this alive, none of us. 
unless Jesus comes, we're all gonna die. This thing called life, none of us are getting out alive. And so instead, let's remember, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, he rose again the third day. And Jesus Christ promises that one day, those who believe, we will rise again as well. That's our hope, not what's gonna happen next week or the week following. So Christians, let's not be tempted to say that everything is gonna be fine, everything is gonna be okay on this earth, because we don't know that. Let's be realistic and gospel-centered. Number four, how should we not respond at a time like this? Number four, let's not respond by saying, this is kind of the opposite extreme, let's not respond by saying everyone is overreacting, the whole thing is blown out of proportion. Let's not respond by saying everyone is overreacting, the whole thing is being blown out of proportion. I have to ask, I wonder how many of you have ever met someone who's a conspiracy theorist? You've met someone that they see a conspiracy behind every bush. Um, if you're not sure you've met a conspiracy theorist, if you've met me, you have met an amateur conspiracy theorist. And so now you know you've met one, right? So my tendency, I don't know if I've ever shared this at Bible Center, but my tendency is I love conspiracies. My wife will tell you that if I'm not, if I have a free hour to watch TV, I'm either gonna watch The Office or I'm probably gonna be watching something on Netflix that involves, involves some global conspiracy. I think my first nonfiction book as a kid, I read a lot of fiction as a kid. My first nonfiction book as a kid was a book my Aunt Brenda had on the JFK conspiracy. No, I didn't have much of a life as a kid. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, but I loved conspiracies and I still do. But as your pastor, let me lovingly encourage you. Let me humbly as a fellow traveler encourage you. Do not let your conspiracy thoughts and maybe your, your own private leanings interfere with loving each other and loving your neighbor through such a time as this. Some of us, many of us lived through uh, what happened on 9-11 and we remember the response of the church. And thankfully, there were many thousands and tens of thousands and more of believers in, in our area and on the East Coast responding in love and grace. But some of us remember some of the wackos, some of the nuts that used the, the suffering of others that all they wanted to talk about were the conspiracies behind 9-11. You may have your theories, they have their theories, but you know, when you think about it, those theories, what would it matter if we ever proved any of our conspiracies? What would it really matter? Are we going to change the world, the fabric of society, if we somehow can prove that our suspicions are correct? Don't you think it would be better for us to spend our time loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbors, knowing that God's in control, and in the end, right is going to be right, and wrong is going to be wrong. I have never seen this verse before in my Bible until this week, but I'm gonna share it with you. Isaiah chapter eight, it's not in your notes, but Isaiah chapter eight in verse 11 through 13, I'm sure I've read it multiple times, but it never sank in, it says this, this is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me warning me not to follow the way of this people. 
Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Proverbs 18, 13. This would be a good one for all of our Facebook posts. Proverbs 18, 13. He that answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. Let's not during this crisis speak dogmatically about things we know nothing about. Let's not pretend to be experts on something that, in which we're not experts, but instead let's practice Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This situation isn't overblown to the people in Northern Italy who've buried 1,200 of their family and friends in the last few weeks. This situation is not overblown for the one rural town in Iran who had to dig a mass grave this week to bury the bodies of their moms and dads and children and grandparents. This, this virus, is, this crisis is, is not overblown for the 67,000 cases of coronavirus in the city of Wuhan, China alone. I read this week that a pastor in that city writes this, a Christian pastor. If you do not feel a responsibility to pray, he said, ask the Lord for a loving soul, an earnest prayerful heart, if you are not crying, ask the Lord for tears because we surely know that only through the hope of the Lord's mercy will Wuhan be saved. As much as we may want to and as much as some of us, including me, have said it in the past, let's stop saying it. Let's not say it as Christians. Everyone is overreacting. This whole thing has been blown out of proportion. But instead, let's love God, let's love each other, and let's love our neighbors and leave everything else to God. I have one more thing to share. The fifth and final way that God doesn't want us to respond as Christians through a crisis like this, and that's this, by loving our traditions and habits more than we love people. By loving our traditions and habits more than we love people. We all have traditions and habits, if you think about it. I have certain things I do on Sunday. I have certain things I do at five in the morning, certain things I do at eight o'clock at night, every single day, religiously. We all have traditions and habits. I was thinking about this morning, how many times I've actually been in church, not counting multiple services on one morning like we have, but like how many Sundays of my life have I actually been to church? Thankfully, I was raised in, in a home where my parents loved and still love the Lord. And, and they brought me to church just shortly after I got home from the hospital. And so I'm gonna celebrate my 40th birthday this year. And if I'm doing my math right, that means that I've gone to church 52 Sundays a year for almost 40 years. I've gone over 2,000 times just to Sunday morning church. That's a lot of church. Now, I'm sure there's been a Sunday here and there for vacations along the way, but I have my traditions. And so this week, whenever I was being presented and we were thinking through and praying through as elders, the possibility of going online and not having our church family 
meeting together, my initial reaction with some of my fundamentalistic roots was, well, we just can't do that. Like we just, we just can't do that, right? But as you look at the scriptures, there's, there's things that we're commanded to do, but the form or the way in which we're commanded to do them is never specifically laid out. And so there's a lot of freedom as you look at the book of Acts and as you look at the New Testament, especially in an emergency situation like this. And so God calls us to love people, make decisions based upon people more than we make decisions based upon a love for our traditions or our habits. Romans chapter 15 in verse one, Paul writes this, we who are strong, or we could substitute the word healthy, we who are healthy ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's easy for me to see the world through the eyes of a young, middle-class, suburban dude. It's easy for me to see the world that way. But God says, don't see the world that way. Through your eyes, see the world also through the eyes of the weak. For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. To this crisis, God's inviting us not to be motivated by fear, but instead to be motivated by love. We wanna be motivated by love for our fellow believers, uh, people of all ages, we want to be motivated by love for our family members, love for, for people, for our neighbors. But we're also motivated by love for our city. And so as we think through how we respond, yes, we, we take care of ourselves and we guard ourselves. But God is also inviting us during this season to, to be imaginative, to be innovative, to think about how can we love our city well with the struggles that they're beginning to face even this week. Our elders met together on Friday night and we spent some time praying for this, praying that, that maybe God is inviting us during this season or, or longer to move away from just programs, programs seven days a week, but actually to move into discipleship, to move away from how many people can we add to our church, but rather how many people can we multiply? How many disciples can we multiply to go out on mission through this? Our staff is meeting tomorrow. And the question that I'm gonna ask all of our staff members is to spend the next few days, we don't have a lot of time, but spend the next few days asking the Lord with your job, how can you creatively produce more maturing followers of Jesus and equip our congregation to do that through a crisis such as this? One of the best missionary texts in all of the Bible, this explains so much of, of our heart as a church. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. 
Paul says, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under God's law. Why did you do that, Paul? Did you do that because you're a people pleaser? Did you do that so everybody would like you? No. He says, so that to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Yes, our events, our gatherings, our physically, our in-person events and gatherings may be canceled, but there's a lot of things that aren't canceled this week. Conversations aren't canceled. Relationships aren't canceled. Love will not be canceled. Songs will not be canceled. Reading will not be canceled. Rest will not be canceled. Self-care will not be canceled. Hope will not be canceled. And so I invite you to ask the Lord, how can I, God, love people through this crisis more than I love my schedule, my traditions, or my habits? And let's see together what God does with all of us through this process. This week, I was reading some C.S. Lewis. Lewis, 72 years ago, 72 years ago, wrote an article called On Living in an Atomic Age. On Living in an Atomic Age. We don't think a lot about that now. At least my generation doesn't think a lot like it now, like I did when I was a kid or my parents did when they were children. But as I read through this last article before we pray, just think about substituting coronavirus in the place of atomic bomb. Let's just replace it and think about how apropos his words are for us today. In one way, he writes, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, he says, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, he writes, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. In other words, let us not pretend that what we're going through is new to the world. It's not new to the world at all. Believe me, he writes, dear sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. And we still have that for which I'm thankful. 
It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which has already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, he concludes. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, he writes, let that bomb, when it comes, when it finds us, let it find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. He writes, a microbe could do that 72 years ago, but they need not dominate our minds. So we're not gonna be dominated by fear. We're gonna make wise choices dominated by love. We're gonna evaluate those choices week after week. But let's not do these five things. Let's not tighten our grip on things that are temporary. Let's not worry and panic as if Jesus isn't king. Let's not say, well, everything's gonna be fine. Everybody's gonna be okay because we don't know that. Let's not say that everybody is overreacting. The whole thing is blown out of proportion because let's remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering far worse through this crisis than we are. And let's not love our traditions and our habits more than we love people. But this week, let's go not just do church, but let's go be the church and saturate our city with the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me wherever you are? Will you pray with me right now? And let's pray together that God will help us be the church and not just do church. May it be so more than ever before. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the men and women and boys and girls who are around TVs and iPads and phones. Even as I speak, I pray that you will encourage their hearts from your word I pray that you'll take something that was said and help us to reflect more of the image of Jesus. God, give us wisdom as pastors, as elders. Give us wisdom as we lead our church through this. But help us not just to hunker down and wait for it to pass. But God, help us to safely and strategically look for opportunities creatively, maybe more creative than ever before to do things to reach all types of people, all of our brothers and sisters in Charleston with the gospel of Jesus, just like you reached us with that same good news. Calm our fears, give us courage. As we make decisions, help us to be motivated by love and not by fear. But Lord, as we've been laying the groundwork in the book of Ephesians for almost six months, 
Help us to be unified as a church, not around the nine o'clock service, not around 11 o'clock service. Help us to be unified around the good news of Jesus because it is in his name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.